On today's episode of The Everyday Marksman, we're talking about the right way to set up your gear for success. And more importantly, how not to mess it up. So let's get to it. Now we're going to set the tone back in our whole Scenario X situation, but rewind a little bit. Instead of being you know, weeks or months into this, let's start right back at the beginning and assume you know nothing. It's early on in Scenario X and you don't own anything. But you get handed a battle belt, or you call it a, a, a load-bearing harness, and you get a bunch of pouches, and you have no idea what you're looking at. So you look around at people, and you figure out, all right, I'm going to throw some pouches on here. This seems like it's a good idea, and that, that would work. So you copy it, and it's uncomfortable as all get out. But what are you going to do now? This is a problem that you and I and everybody else who's just now getting started off in shooting has faced at one point or another. How do you configure your gear in a way that actually works? Because you've heard the phrase tactical yard sale, and you know you don't want to be that, but how do you run at high speed? Well, that's what we're talking about today. So welcome to The Everyday Marksman, the podcast where it's all about tactical skills for living a more adventurous life. I'm your host, Matt Robertson, and today's episode, we're talking about evaluating your gear for the real world. So stick around. By the way, our website's everydaymarksman.co, and there you're going to find today's show notes, all of our articles, our YouTube channel, the rest of our podcast episodes, and our awesome community of marksmen, just like you. With the formalities out of the way, let's get to the topic at hand, evaluating your gear. So this conversation is a bit of a long time coming, you see, because it's been popping up in lots of places. So I'm going to give you three examples of how we got here. Number one, not long ago, I had an interview with Mike Green and his wife, Pascal, about the tactical games. And during that interview, we had a little side tangent about getting a plate carrier set up for his wife. Now, she competes in the tactical games as well and went through all these iterations of different plate carriers and harnesses and stuff before she found something that was comfortable. So here, let me play that clip for you uh, about what he said. Old military and special forces techniques, PCIs, pre-combat check inspections, you know. Uh, we tested all the gear, you know, had her, you know, stand in her gear and then jump up and down and just start looking for things that are loose. And then, hey, okay, let's start working out with it, you know. So he said, he said a phrase in there called pre-combat checks or pre-combat inspections that stuck with me for a while. I've been thinking about it ever since. And then my friend Justin over at Swift Silent Deadly also recently wrote up some great articles about his reconnaissance loadouts while he was in Marine Special Operations and all based on his real world experience. And there was a few little notes and tidbits in there. Great articles. I have links to it in the show notes for this one. But that also reminded me of things that Max at Max Velocity Tactical had written years and years ago that have influenced my thinking over time. And then, very recently, I got invited out to go do a gear shakeout with a bunch of guys over in West Virginia. Um, shout out to Les from Pegasus Test for the invite. And the goal of the day was really running a bunch of drills to shake off the rust of the winter, check out all the new stuff you may have bought in the meantime and set up to see, was it actually working for you? And I think there was a lot of good lessons learned. Uh, and I also made a lot of observations about some things I have seen lately, both at that event and at other ranges where, you know, I think some people just 
need a helping hand to understand what is the right way to go about doing it. So let's talk about a pre-combat inspection. Ever since Mike Green mentioned it, I've been thinking about this. Now, U.S. Army doctrine talks about these inspections as a troop-leading procedure, something that your non-commissioned officers and officers are going to do from time to time as part of an inspection regime, both pre-mission, during missions, during training. Uh, It's their responsibility to keep their people in line. This does a couple things, including combating complacency and apathy because you're going to make people care about it, but it also speaks to mission effectiveness. You want your people to have their gear set up in a way and configured that's going to be mission successful. It's also standardized from person to person, which is a different topic where everybody knows, you know, where the first aid pouch on every other person on the team is. And that's an important thing for a lot of reasons. Um, now, I don't want to co-opt the whole PCI and PCC concept because there's a lot more to that, like exactly what is in some of those pouches, which is not really what I want to get into today. That'll be a future episode. So I posted around uh, the Everyday Marksman Discord server, and we were, we were trying to figure out what do we call these things. So shout out to Diceman for coming out with the final name, uh, which is AGE, or Administrative Gear Evaluation. Um, Runner up in that one has to go to Pete, though, who had a very long acronym, um, C-Y-S-B-Y-W-Y-S, which stands for check your stuff before you wreck your stuff, replacing stuff with another word. Um, Also a good way to think about this one, but I'll stick with A-G-E for now. So thanks, Pete. Um, Maybe next time. (laughs) Now let's talk about this administrative gear evaluation. This is an everyday marksman thing. Uh, there's a checklist for this on the article associated with this episode. So again, come by the website, everydaymarksman.co, and you'll find it. What we're doing here is two things. First off, we want to check the condition of our gear and to make sure it actually is serviceable, that it's going to service well and not fail us you know, at a bad time. The second part of this is looking at fit and function of our equipment. Is it hindering us from getting the job done because it's poorly configured Or is it getting in the way of movement? Now, keep in mind that this whole gear evaluation process does not just apply to your scenario X stuff, like I started off this episode with, but it could be your competition gear. It could be your range gear. Um, You're never wrong to check out if your stuff is going to work out for you or not. All right, let's let's actually get into this now. Let's talk about AGE phase one, the equipment condition piece of this. So why do you want to check over your equipment condition? This this sounds obvious, um, but you want to make sure it's not going to fail. It's in good working order um, and not is not going to cause a problem for you at the worst possible moment. All right. Second, uh, which is probably less discussed in the civilian world, but in the military side, it is a thing. And I think it's important is about looking professional and squared away. Look, I'm not saying you need to crease your sleeves and polish your boots Um, Though doing so, I think, does help instill a bit of pride in your personal appearance. But I am saying you don't want to give off the vibe of being sloppy or poorly trained. Creating deterrence, which is something that we recently talked about, is as much about the appearance of capability as it is actually being skilled. A predator is looking for someone who's going to be easy to prey on. So you want to look like you're hard to kill. And the ways that you can do that are subtle, but they stand out to those who are looking. So let's break this first phase into three segments that we're going to look at. First is damage and wear, attachment security, and then physical appearance of the 
kit. Now, I'm not going to go through every possible step. There's actually quite a few steps in here. Again, use the checklist on the show notes. This one, we're going to summarize these things, and you can talk about it with me in the comments on this episode. Now, the goal of checking damaged wear is straightforward. You're looking for any things that are likely to cause you a problem, things like holes, rips, tears, um, loose threads, loose ends, stuff that's going to fray and peel off or get caught up on something. You know, you're, you're trying to make sure that actually is in good condition. Uh, that's the obvious stuff. The less obvious stuff is going to be things like, uh, have you, when was the last time you looked over your Velcro, your hook and loop attachments? Those things tend to get clogged up with hair and dirt uh, and they lose their stickiness over time. So if it's looking pretty, pretty grody, clean it. Um, all you need is a toothbrush or, or a something called a, a file board, I believe. I had that one written down in my notes. And yeah, a file board, uh, which is just a little metal brush, which you can comb through the hook side of that and it'll peel a lot of that gunk out of there and keep it working well. Uh, you also want to look for rust, especially on metal snaps and things. That kind of stuff is going to lead to failures, which gets to the second piece of this. You want to check the attachment security of your gear. Whether you're using Molly belts or Alice webbing or whatever, um, you want to make sure that stuff actually is done correctly. Going back to the beginning, um, I know I did this wrong at the beginning. Maybe you did too. But a lot of people don't know the correct way to attach Molly webbing. A lot of people think it goes, you know, in one side and out the other and just kind of around the whole belt when you're actually supposed to weave it back and forth between the mounting surface and the pouch. That's how you get maximum strength. So you want to make sure that's done correctly and then and then close correctly. Um, it's also not going to fail. Again, those old school metal snaps uh, can rust. They can bend. They can lose their ability to hold on and then you've got to replace it. That's why I personally prefer newer designs that don't have that stuff that have things like tuck tabs or you can use an, a malice clip or something else external that you can easily replace. Um, if you're looking at backup methods, which you should probably consider, you know, do you have a gutted paracord or zip ties or some other backup way of holding that pouch to the belt? Um, how is that looking? Is that cracking? Is that worn? Is that going to fail on you? What about all the buckles and closures? Are those holding tightly? Or are they all loose and falling apart? You know, not only is this here to you know, make sure your gear is not going to fail you or disappear on you if you bump into something. But again, this is about presenting that little extra bit of professionalism. Is it clean? Is it looking good? You know, are all the little frayed ends burn, cut, cut and burn so it's all nice and clean? And that gets to the last phase, the physical appearance piece of this. You know, again, two pieces here. First and foremost, a tidy appearance is about professionalism. I keep saying it, but you want to look hard to kill. You want to look like you know what you're doing and that commands a bit of respect from others. Second though, um, keeping things tidy prevents unexpected hangups or entanglements or things, you know, getting ripped out, ripped off of your belt. You hear stories from, from guys in Vietnam talking about how the jungle has a habit of removing things off of you. Uh, those vines and branches can just poke your gear and they can remove your canteen or remove a magazine. So that's why it got real popular to tape all your stuff down, to use dummy cord, to use the things that are going to keep it in place. Now, really obvious stuff you can look for here. Again, all those little loose threads that pop up on your clothing, on your gear, trim them down, use a lighter and burn them short. Another thing here, which I think is important, is loose straps. A lot of gear today has a lot of extra adjustment length to go around armor, which means if you're not wearing armor, then you tend to have about a good 10 to 12 inches of strap left over. 
So roll it up and tape it in place. Anything longer than like one to two inches, you should be you should be managing somehow. You know, a little bit of, of duct tape, electrical tape. Um, I have been experimenting with some other stuff. Uh, all of it is good. It's it's important to be able to control those loose ends. That way, they don't hang up in anything. They don't get snagged, uh, and also nobody else can yank them. Un, you know, yank them off of you. The last bit in there, I'll say there is just you know noise reduction methods. This is not the day to talk about noise reduction tools, but I think it's important to give it a shakedown. Is is your gear clanking? Is it making a lot of clicking noises? So my preferred ways of that is wrapping shock cord and bungee cord around pouches to compress them when nothing, when they're not full. All right, so that's phase one. Let's talk about the gear inspection phase two, fit and function. This is where it gets more fun. So first off, we want to check fit. Now, it's going to sound pretty straightforward, but you have to commit to this one because I think most people, me included, don't go the full nine yards with this one. All right. You don't really know how your gear is going to ride until you load it down with all the stuff that you're going to carry. So you're going to find this is pretty fast to do uh, and it's easy to make adjustments. Then you can move on to second phase. All right. But the first step is you have to load your gear down as you plan to carry it. So that means if you are going to carry six loaded magazines, then you need to have six loaded magazines. We'll talk about my basic kit that I've been testing out lately, and that includes uh, seven loaded magazines, two full water canteens, and a full IFAC, a first aid kit. All right. Load it all up. You want it to be at maximum weight. You want this because when you wear it, you want to be able to see, does it feel too heavy? Is it feel imbalanced? Is something leaning too far off to the left or the right? I made that mistake early on in my battle belt series of, of tests where I realized I was carrying eight magazines on my left side and there was nothing to counter it on the right, which meant that the whole thing kind of leaned over and got really uncomfortable. Keep in mind that when you're wearing this stuff for 10, 15, 20 minutes, it's probably not going to bother you. But if you're wearing it for eight hours straight, that kind of little little annoyances will build up and they'll make your life suck. So check its weight and balance. How tight is it? Is it positioned well on your body? Can I have examples for how to wear all your gear? Uh, Discussions around, you know, what height is your LBE? How high is your plate carrier? All that stuff's in the article. I'm not going to go over it again here. Um, But it is important. And I know I tend to tell people to wear chest rigs fairly high. Um, my height level is to say that the middle of the chest rig should be across your nipples, um, which is going to sound pretty high. My reasoning for that is if your chest rig is in conjunction with a battle belt, you need the clearance. I know I see some other pros out there who will wear just the chest rig and they wear it lower. And that's fine if that's the only thing they're wearing. But because to me, a chest rig is in conjunction with something else, I wear it high. All right, so once you go through that, now we get to the functional piece of this. So you've got the weight imbalance figured out. You've got the fitment right. Let's talk about actually using it. Now, again, two pieces here. The first one I call the athletic movement test. The second one is the functional test. So the athletic movement test is about moving around with your gear as you would expect to do it in the real world. I think it's really easy for a lot of people to put their gear on, stand in front of a mirror, and take a picture. All right, do it for the gram. Well, that's wrong. That's not going to tell you anything about how your gear performs. Going back to what Mike Green said at the earlier quote, you want to put it on, jump up and down, and start working out in it. So I'm going to go a little bit more advanced than that, and I have a checklist here just to walk you through what I do when I'm evaluating gear. So again, with everything loaded up and on me, 
I'm going to walk a bunch of laps around the house. Why the house? Because walking around outside in a suburban neighborhood wearing a full combat load is probably not going to go very well. So I stick to doing inside the house, pass through doorways, go in and around furniture, see what stuff gets bumped, hung up, gets in the way or anything like that. Then go up and down the stairs several times. All right. What you're checking for is how well do your legs move up and down or any pouches bumping into your leg every time you go up and down or is there there something jabbing you in the gut when you go up and down? Generally speaking, you're going to find that's the case if you have any magazine pouches that are, you know, cover, I call type two and type three pouches that are covered or enclosed and are tall. If they're in front of you, as you go up and down elevation, your legs are going to bump into those and it's going to really get annoying. All right. That's why I put my larger magazine pouches out to the side of an LBE harness. If you're wearing a test rig or plate carrier, this doesn't matter. All right. Now, if available, I'll do something like a box step up or step up on a chair where I can take a big step and see if the same problem comes up or not. Then I go from standing to kneeling and standing to squatting several times, like taking a shooting position to see, again, is anything jiving me in the gut? Is anything poking me where I don't want it to poke me? All right. Then I go prone. As I'm laying there in the prone, is anything poking me in the gut? Is anything riding up in my chest? All right, so we're trying to see is is this uncomfortable? In the real world, you may be laying prone for quite a while. Like if you're doing an observation with binoculars or you're trying to stay out of the way. So you want your gear to not be uncomfortable, in which case you will hate life. Now from the prone, I'll go ahead and crawl 10 to 20 feet low crawl and see, do I get full range of motion? Now we get to the really fun part, which is standing up, dashing about 10 yards. Going back to prone, getting up, dashing 10 yards back, going prone, doing that a few times back and forth. All right. Why do I do that? Because I'm testing out how gravity is working. You know, am I able to get up and move quickly without my gear going all floppy? Good example of where I saw this one pop up. Um, if you remember some of my goals at the beginning of the year, I had talked about fitness and nutrition. Well, those are still happening. I am down about 20 pounds at the moment. So when I was at the range this past weekend, with my battle belt, I was running around a little bit outside and I noticed that as I was moving, my belt was just sliding down my body, <laughs> right? It wasn't a problem as long as I was standing still, but loaded up with, with two mag or two rifle mags, two pistol mags, a holster and a, and a filled canteen. That thing was definitely bouncing around and starting to slide off my body. I had to tighten it up. If that's happening to you, you're, it, because you're doing this active athletic portion, then your choices are you either need to make the belt tighter if you can, and if you can't, then you need to remove weight off of the belt. It needs to be lighter, more minimalist. I know you can add a harness to it, but that becomes a different carrying platform, so I'm ignoring that for battle belt. All right, so once you have that figured out, the last step is to lay on your back, supine. All right, what you're looking for is there anything digging into your spine. A lot of people don't think about this when they put objects back at the center of their back on their on their kit but if you fall backwards onto that unexpectedly you can damage your spine if you have a hard object there so again this is where i you know everybody puts their canteens out kind of toward their kidneys um, nothing hard should be directly below your spine so very important if you're running a butt pack like i do in some of my rigs um, try to avoid anything hard or pokey that can really damage your spine if you have to go backwards all right enough said of that what you're looking for now is that did you get good range of motion? Were you able to move around athletically? The perfect answer doesn't exist here. 
right? The best and most athletic you're ever going to be is not wearing any of your gear. So wearing gear is always a compromise. How much that compromise you're willing to make. And oh, by the way, while you're evaluating this, do you know how much your gear weighs? I think your target should be 35 pounds or less. All up. That's including your rifle, your handgun, all your magazines, water, and any your clothing, your boots, anything going into your butt pack. 35 pounds is your goal. That's a tight goal. All right. Most people will start loading up everything they can and they're going to go to 40, 45, 50 pounds. If you're beyond 50 pounds, you are carrying too much stuff. I know the military does it and they hate it. There are studies every year talking about how terrible it is for them. That's the military. They don't get a choice. You have a choice. The longstanding maximum weight for a good hundred years now of a fighting man should be 50 pounds of gear or sorry, 40 to 45 pounds of gear or less for a physically fit soldier. Now, I know we all think we're in good shape, but we are not paid to work out shape on average. So shoot for 35 pounds. That should be your goal. Now that you have the weight and the fitment piece of that, let's go how it actually works for you. So um, again, at this range trip, I got to go shake out some gear. There was some new drills we got to do, which I I had been doing kind of on my own, but I'm going to formalize it here and talk about how to run through your equipment as if it's the real world. So let's talk about rifle only. The way you would handle this one is remove all of your loaded magazines from your gear and set them aside or empty them out because now we're going dry fire and you want to be safe. So make your area safe for dry fire. Put all those empty magazines back in your gear and your rifle and then away we go. You're going to take a standing position, present the rifle, simulate two shots, squeezing your trigger, bang, bang, drop the magazine, grab a fresh one, immediate reload, Bang, bang again, drop the magazine, grab a fresh one, and do that over and over and over again through working your way through all the magazines in your gear. You should do this in the order that you would plan to do it, your your ammunition management plan, which is, again, a separate topic we're going to cover later on. All right, so for me, that means wearing a load-bearing harness. I'm starting with my emergency reload, which is the closest one to my center on my left side, and then working progressively to my left from there. And when I run out of magazines, I switch to a pouch that's on my right side that has a few more magazines, all right? The reason you do this is to check for anything that is not working. You know, do you did you bother to look at what orientation your magazines are in the pouches? All right, that matters to a lot of people. I prefer to have my bullets pointing to the rear, as the phrase goes, um, because the way I grab the magazine out of the pouch, that makes it convenient for me. So do, did you check that? Did you load it the way you wanted? Did anything get in the way of you grabbing your magazines? All right, so once you're done with that, then we're going to go to rifle and pistol transitions. All right, so same drill. Load up all the empty magazines in your rifle, but now you've got also your pistol with empty magazines and two pistol reloads. Same drill. Present the rifle. Bang, bang, simulate. Drop the magazine, immediate reload. Bang, bang, drop the magazine, reload. But now, after you go bang, bang, you're out of ammo, you're going to go to the handgun. So hold the rifle, control on the way down, draw your pistol, simulate two shots, bang, bang, drop magazine, reload your pistol. And then repeat this again through all of your magazines. Again, you're going to find stuff that you didn't expect. So I did this one um, a few weeks ago, evaluating one of my harnesses I had reconfigured. And I found out that the position I had my pistol reloads didn't work for me. Because as I brought the rifle down, 
the sling and the rifle were resting right on top of the magazine pouches, which made getting to those reloads really awkward. I had to fish around between the rifle and the sling. And all I had to do was just move it two columns over. Uh, and that took care of it. But you wouldn't know that. I wouldn't know that had I not done a drill like this. All right. So everything you saw before applies here. You're looking for anything that's slowing you down, hanging you up and making it awkward. Now that you've done both of those, do it again from different positions like you're kneeling or squatting or prone. Is it working for you? Again, there is no perfect answer here. It's all a matter of compromises, but this is how you're going to check through it. And one more note here. Once you're done with your ammunition, also check your first aid kit. Simulate, you know, bang, bang, reload, bang, bang, reload. Hey, you've been hit. <laughs> grab your, grab your, your first aid kit. And the question you're going to ask yourself is, is your first aid kit accessible by both hands? Because I'm right-handed, so I tend to keep my first aid kit on my right side. But if I put it in a spot my left hand couldn't reach it, it's doing me no good. So you need it in position for both hands. My favorite spot, by the way, is actually small of my back, but not all of my gear lets me do that. So a lot of times it's on my right side in front of my holster or thereabouts. Now, what about the rest of the gear? I mentioned canteens and butt packs and utility pouches for that. All that stuff is good, but it's not life-saving emergency gear that you have to get to right now. So because everything is a compromise, you're never going to find a perfect spot for everything. So my advice is focus on the stuff that is emergency and you need to get to it quickly. And that's what you optimize for to a point and everything else goes where you can fit it. So one of the questions I know you might be thinking now as well, if I want to optimize for all the reloads, then why didn't I do the function test first before the athletic test? And the reason is pretty simple. If you optimize for your function testing, your reloads, you might start putting things in places that are going to hinder your athletic movement. And again, like I said earlier, you are far more likely to be living in your gear for 8, 10, 12 hours at a time and moving around and doing stuff than you are fighting. So make your life easier. <laughs> All right. Focus on living in your stuff first and then fighting in it second. But fighting is still important. Now, I didn't mention something I think is really important to talk about here, and that is your level of physical fitness. I alluded to it talking about the weight of your equipment, and it is really important. Do not carry more gear than you are physically able to handle. Your gear should never exceed your level of physical fitness. So if you have never rucked with 40 pounds, 40 pounds on your back, as an example, um, I don't think you should be carrying 40 pounds in your load-bearing load harness. Why is that? Well, because it's going to slow you down. If you have not tried to do uh, individual movement drills, think of doing a Go to prone, pop up, sprint 10 yards, go to prone, like in our functional test. But doing that for one to two minutes at a time while wearing 40 pounds, I don't think you realize how much that sucks, how much that's going to slow you down. And in a firefight, being slow means being dead. Also, I think I, I want to touch on one other topic here, and that's reload speed. Uh, in a recent article that went up on Tuesday this week, actually, I talked about magazine pouches. And while I did reference things about reload speed and how certain pouches were one second faster for me than others, ultimately, I don't think reload speed is what you need to concern yourself with. As long as you're fast enough, 
if you're fast enough, which I would say is better than a four second reload, four to five second reload, you know, if you're fighting with your buddies, that is good enough. You don't need to worry about optimizing for a one or two second reload. Just keep that in mind. I talked about that in that article. Come check out the website, everydaymarksman.co. All right. And with that, we are at the end of this week's episode. Thank you for joining me. As always, it's a pleasure having you here and hanging out with me. Um, yeah. If you don't mind doing me a favor, come by the website, everydaymarksman.co and hit that big fat green subscribe button. It gets you on the email list. So I'll be honest, why do I want you on the email list? It's because it's the easiest way for me to get a hold of you. Look, we live in a world where social media for gun people doesn't have a whole lot of reach. Google doesn't like me. Instagram doesn't like me or anybody else. YouTube doesn't like me or anybody else doing guns. The best way for me to get a hold of you is via email. So hit that subscribe button. I promise I do not spam you. I just let you know about what's been going on around the website, new articles, new YouTube videos, new podcast episodes, all that good stuff. So come on by and join the community. Oh, and in you, when you do join, you will get invite to our awesome Discord server so you can join a community of marksmen just like you. With that, until next time, my friend, I'll catch you later.